Hello and welcome to Beer and Money, a financial fireside chat for tech professionals. We work to simplify your finances so that you can enjoy your life. Now here are your hosts, Ryan Burkwell and Alex Collins. Hello everybody and welcome back to Beer and Money. I am your host, Ryan Burkwell. With me as always... Alex, I've got the best belly laugh, Collins. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. I've uh, I've actually heard that a few times lately. <laughs> so, Alex and I were talking uh, earlier around just different mistakes that we see uh, clients make, and we actually narrowed it down to the top five money mistakes, in our opinion, that not. And I wouldn't even say our opinion. This, these are the top five things that m- most of our clients actually come back with, like a big aha because they've never considered these mistakes or at least uh, strategies, if you will, that they haven't even thought of. Yeah, I mean, these are the things that we get thanked by our clients for on a continual basis. So, without further ado, the five mistakes that we've got are the first one is there's no strategy in place financially speaking. So a lot of people look at their money from a tactic standpoint, meaning, you know, I want to save for retirement, so I'm going to put money in a 401k. I want to save for a new house, I'm going to put money in a savings account. I want to save for my kid's college. Okay, I'm going to open up a 529. And while none of that is bad necessarily, they haven't thought of, okay, is there a more efficient way of utilizing their money from a strategic standpoint? Well, and in addition to that, they haven't thought about okay, how does putting money into a 529 plan affect my retirement planning? What are the other alternatives? How do I look at the entire picture and think strategically around, is there a more efficient and effective way of allocating the dollars to be able to accomplish all of these goals and provide more flexibility than siloing the decision and tying up all the dollars into you know, one product or, or a couple different different vehicles? Exactly. And then the other four that we've got are not really considering uh, the taxation of their money when they start to pull their money out for any given reason throughout life. It could be in retirement, could be 10 years down the line when they're buying a business. They haven't considered where they're putting their money today and the taxation of that money when they yank it out. Number three is not protecting your income fully. A lot of times our clients have insurance products they've put in place, legal documents that they put in place but it's a standpoint of a needs analysis that they think they might need and really not looking at it from a income protection, like replacement of their income, which is a different conversation to have. Yeah. It really just, again, it, it's not fully looking at it and fully understanding exactly what it, what the options are. And from our standpoint, we care that these decisions are made intentionally as opposed to, you know, looking at it from a standpoint of, oh, I've got that, I've checked the box without really understanding how these things work. Number four is placing a bigger importance on rate of return rather than their savings rate. So how much money they're saving, they're more interested in how much rate of return they're getting on their money. And then the last one is hubris. And we mean by hubris is just it could be two different versions. It could be just excessive confidence in their financial planning or financial uh, knowledge. 
Um, or it could be them just sticking their head in the sand, hoping it all works out. Either way, there are knowledge, sometimes knowledge gaps, or, or it's not even gaps, actually. It's just knowledge that they don't have or don't know to have. Yeah, I mean, the hubris typically comes from someone being very good and knowledgeable about one aspect and then not realizing that they don't know what they don't know. And so they're, they've got a knowledge gap that they don't understand that they have because they didn't know it existed. And, you know, so someone might be really good at managing investments, for example, but they don't have an idea as to, okay, how is this going to affect me from a taxation standpoint or, how does where I'm putting my assets affect my college planning or the various different other aspects that go into finances? And so by making siloed decisions or by having siloed knowledge, we wind up with a, a suboptimal situation, mostly because they didn't know that something existed as opposed to any intentional or willful decision. So those are the top five uh, mistakes, if you will, uh, that we have found our clients have found a lot of value in, in fixing. Uh, so let's go back up to number one. Let's talk about the no strategy in place. And I think the, the, the most simple example we can give for this is the college planning mentality. And that's really a siloed decision. Most, of, most often than not, from the standpoint of, Okay, I have a kid, they're going to school in the next 15 years, so let's open up a 529 and start throwing money into that. And again, I'm not stating that the 529 plan is a bad plan, but in the traditional sense, let's talk about what truly happens, and let's give an example of maybe an efficiency standpoint that we could add that sometimes people are just not considering. Sure, with a 529 plan, whether it's asset-based or prepaid tuition, it's single-use dollars. The only thing that you're going to use the, those dollars for is education for your child. Where a, a perhaps a more efficient way of doing it, depending upon circumstance and situation, would be to save up some dollars, use those dollars to, as a down payment to buy real estate in the location that the child is going to school. Now, we need to make sure that we're able to cash flow the property, meaning that the income from the rents outpaces all the expenses, which would be mortgage, taxes, insurance, utilities, advertising, all of the, the aspects that go along with that. And now we've paid for room and board for the child during college. And at the end, we can either continue to own it. Now we've got a property that's cash flowing or we can sell it and recoup some of the some or all or maybe more than all of our initial costs going into it. So just a, a quick recap of what you just said, as opposed to putting the money in a 529 plan where I'm going to pull the money out each year to pay for my kids tuition. You know, if it's, let's say I've got a hundred thousand dollars in the 529 each year of my kids tuition is $25,000. So $25,000 every year gets pulled out. I pay my, for my kids college. You're stating Okay, as opposed to putting maybe all of your money in a 529, maybe we've got an account that we can pull out and buy a rental property and the rent from that helps pay for a room and board and then the resale of that house that we bought essentially kind of maybe not 
refills the the initial all of the initial bucket, but maybe some of it. So we get to recoup some of the money we would have put down towards our kids' education. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it depends on you know the market and how the how the real estate did over the you know three, four, five years that we wind up owning the property. And if we, we heck, we may decide to continue owning it, and now it's just generating an income stream for us. Well, and just something to to consider here as well. That same hundred thousand dollars. Let's just say our kid goes off to college. We put the hundred thousand dollars towards their their education. That's a hundred thousand dollars that left our balance sheet, right? So that hundred thousand dollars at a rate of return of five percent, twenty years down the line, is worth two hundred and sixty five thousand dollars. That's two hundred sixty five thousand dollars. That's no longer on my balance sheet. That essentially I've lost, and it's even more than that when you consider the fact that that's also going to kick off income in retirement, or if I never touch that money, it's going to continue to grow. So it's not a hundred thousand dollars that I lost for my kids' education. And let me be clear: I want to make sure this is not coming across as "don't pay for your kids' ed- college education." We're just showing the math behind everything, and, and especially the baby boomer population. It, they took money out of their retirement accounts to pay for their kids' education. And not that that's bad or good because they wanted to cover their kids' education, but looking at it from a time value loss of money is a whole different conversation to have. Yeah, I mean, what you're talking about there, Ryan, is is opportunity cost. So the the $100,000 of actual cost that went out the door, while that's one cost, it's also what that money would have done for you had you not had to use it for college, what it could have grown to using 5% as a hypothetical rate of return, just to give an example. And over a 20 year time period, that would grow to, like you said, $265,000. And now what that could have done in retirement would be generate, you know, right around another eight to $10,000 a year of retirement income, depending upon what we're doing with it, how we're, how we're structuring things. Um, again, we love the idea and concept of making sure that our kids get a chance to, to go to school. We just want to make sure that, that when we do so, we're planning from an efficient standpoint and, and we really don't like the idea and concept of single-use dollars where it's going out to an expense never to return to the balance sheet. What we want to try and do is develop a strategy where those dollars come back to the balance sheet more than 100% cost going out the door or a negative 100% rate of return. So in the end, we're, we're, we're talking about really not thinking with the end in mind. That's that strategic standpoint of looking at things holistically. And so the 529, our kids' college planning, is the example we gave in that. There, there are obviously plenty of other examples we could use, but we wanted to make it, we wanted to share that one specifically. Let's transition to number two, and that's not considering the taxation standpoint of when we're pulling our money out from our assets. Yeah, and we recently had a conversation with uh, CPA, um, and we're not trying to throw CPAs under the bus. They do absolutely phenomenal work. They're just not great at looking into the future, or a lot of them are not great at looking into the future just based on the the nature of how they go about their work. And and the, the conversation was around taxation. And so we, we talked about well, what are the benefits of various different plans? And they, they love the, this particular CPA loved 
the tax deductibility of money going into a 401k. And it was, in their opinion, the best possible place for dollars to go. We said, okay, well, let's fast forward. What if the, the client is 65 and retired? You know, here's a scenario that where the client has, you know, some various different accounts, one of which was a 401k. Where would you pull money from and why? And in what order? And what they said was, well, we we defer the 401k as long as possible. So until age 70 and a half, when we're required to start taking distributions out, we said, okay, well, so the first place that we want to put money is into the 401k. And then the last place that we want to pull money out of is from the 401k because of the, the taxation at that point. And the response was yes. And we walked through an example that showed that taxes in 401k, it really is dependent upon what your tax bracket is today, what, what your marginal bracket is. And then the biggest unknown is we have no idea what your tax bracket is going to be in retirement. And there's this myth. It, it's not what well, the big ones in retirement, but it's not even in retirement. What's our tax bracket going to be three years from now? Or what is it? I guess maybe one year from now when a new president possibly comes in or five years from now when a new president comes in, how's that going to change? Like <laughs> it's not even 30 years from now. It's what about next year? Right. And so as tax rates change where we want to put money is going to be affected by that but and it's not even tax brackets the other aspect of this is tax brackets were lowered right as of recently with with donald trump's new tax brackets that he put in but was what was also changed right the tax laws as well as how much you can deduct right also changed right the home equity line of credit can no longer be deducted if it's not used for home repairs from what I understand. So that's, we got to look at it from all angles and we don't know what's going to happen. Absolutely. The, the, the structure of taxation is going to change. The easy answer is if we find our, there's this myth out there of we're going to be in a lower tax bracket in retirement. And when we actually walk through with a client where they're at right now, what their tax structure is right now, and then where they're going to be in retirement based on holding taxes exactly the same, that extra dollar, so that that marginal rate, nine times out of 10 is the exact same as what it is today. And so if that's the situation, then there's no benefit from taking the deduction today versus having it be tax-free in the future. And so the next thing that we do is have a conversation with the client, with the CPAs, with with some of our, our legal folks, uh, with anybody that we know in politics that asks and ask the question, okay, from where we are right now, do we expect taxes to go up, go down, or stay the same? And the answer that we consistently hear is, well, we expect taxes to go up. We don't know when or by how much, things of that nature. And that that's not our opinion. That's the folks that we're talking to. And I just want to make sure we're, uh, we're being clear on this. We're not saying 401k is a bad place to put your money. All we're stating is, are you considering when you pull that money out, 
how are you going to get hit tax-wise? Because in the end, what we all really care about is the net income, not the gross income. Absolutely. And we've talked about this in the past. Having balance is optimal. So we want to be able to balance the tax deduction today and having it be tax-free in the future. That allows us for the most flexibility, <clears throat> the most ability to to change based on what the what the environment out there is doing, what the political environment is, what happens with taxes, you know, whether uh, taxes go up or down at a state level, at a federal level. I mean, there, there are a host of variables out there and a hundred percent, we know that whatever we predict is going to be wrong. And so what we want to try and do is create the most amount of flexibility so that when those changes occur, we're positioned we well can, to take advantage. Right. We can roll with it. Exactly. So let's move on to number three here. And I don't think we'll have to um, dive too big into this because we've actually had, I think, an entire podcast or at least a good 20 minute podcast about this specific topic. But number three is not protecting our income fully. Right. Oftentimes when we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, let's just talk about from a life insurance perspective. Let's use that as the example. Oftentimes. And, and this is how I was trained when I first got in the industry was, okay, you are making X amount of dollars. How much do you have in debt? How much money do you want to leave for your spouse if something were to happen to you? And do you want to pay for your kid's college? Okay, here's the magic number. When in actuality, what happened from a financial standpoint, if something happened to me, my income is no longer coming in the door to my spouse. And unless I'm sitting on enough money that I could have retired that day and I'm just working because I love to work, how much of that income needs to be replaced? Well, my wife would argue very, very strongly that she would like to keep the same lifestyle, which requires the same income coming in the door. And so I can't even think of one client that we've seen that had all of the threats, if you will, the worst threats at least, protected fully in terms of protecting their income. Yeah, absolutely. It and it could just been that they just didn't have a will set up or, or trust or whatnot. But again, it's it's looking at it from that aspect is the most important piece. Well, and the, the vast majority of clients, Ryan, don't, when they, when they first meet with us, don't have any one aspect fully protected, let alone all of them. Now, a lot of them come to us with 80, 90, 95% of their income protected. But there's almost always gaps, whether it's in their their home and auto, liability protection, their medical life, disability, legal documents, all of the various different aspects. Like almost always there's at least one or two minor things that, that we take a look at and suggest, hey, let let's evaluate this or this might not be quite optimal let's let's take a look at it right and our job is just to show our clients th this is what occurs if god forbid something like that happens you know our clients make the choices right our job is just to show them how everything lands which oftentimes they haven't seen their financial picture in that way ever right and again our job isn't to to you know decide for them. It's to show them the consequences, provide them the ability and the understanding to be able to make a decision and have it be made intentionally as opposed to having it be made 
with you know, half of the information or without a complete picture. So number four, and we've had a, a podcast about this as well, placing rate of return higher than savings rate. And I, what's funny is, is I don't think most people I think inherently get the fact that the more money that they save, the better off they'll be. However, because the media and even people in our industry, the only thing they talk about is how to get the rate of return. What's often lost is the savings rate that we, you should have, which we think should be 15 to 20%. And we're seeing closer to like 10%. And that is a, a real high reliance upon a rate of return that you really can't control necessarily. You can be more efficient, obviously, and, and fee drag, and there's efficiencies there, but the actual market you can't control. Correct. And that 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 10% is significantly higher than the, the general public's average. I mean, they're, the public's average is somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 to 5%. And when we take a look at it, that a lot of times it, when we analyze it, where this came from is our own industry. You know, doing needs-based analysis where, you know, we're trying to solve for some future dollar amount and the higher the rate of return number in that equation, the less the dollars are that we have to spend or to, to save rather to to accomplish that goal. Right. It allows you know, me, the client, if you will, to have more lifestyle, if you will, or, or buy the, the, the nicer Mercedes because I just saw a rate of return of 8%. Well, I'm going to end up with this magic number at the end. The interesting part about that entire conversation, obviously, everyone knows the variables change. Literally, you leave the advisor's office, like that plan could change, right? Inflation could change, rate of return could change, everything could change that minute. But what's more interesting is it's really just real life what occurs. That plan is based on every single dollar being invested in the market on that rate of return. And in real life, that's not the case because in real life, we're going to pull money out to buy a house. We're going to pull money out to pay for a kid's college. Right. Life happens. <laughs> we're, 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 and it's not just negative things, right? I just said good things. Like everyone, everyone always talks about the negative th side of it. And I'm talking about positive stuff. As soon as you pull that money out and you buy a house, not that a house is a bad purchase, but you're typically not going to use that house as an asset in retirement unless you're going to sell it and then downsize. And that's a whole nother conversation to have around when and where and the market at that time. Right. I, heck, a perfect example of a, a, a potential positive outcome is when I, you know, my family and I were on vacation last week or two weeks ago, we were up in Whistler and essentially we wound up being offered part of a, a vacation home that's up there. Now for a host of different reasons, we, we chose not to act upon it, but because we've got the ability to, to access dollars, we could have bought into a, a vacation property at significantly less than we would have expected or anticipated um, because of a relationship that my family has with somebody else. Now, again, there's reasons why we chose not to do it, but we have the ability to do it because of how we're positioned. 
and a lot of that is based on savings rate. When you're saving 20% of your gross income, right? You may not actually have to pull a bunch of money from your assets. It could just be cash flow that helps do it, or at least it's more control. In the end, it's controlling your future rather than relying upon the market to make it for you. And kind of what you're dancing around there, Ryan, without actually saying it is that making sure that we can control the things that are within our actual control. And we don't have a way of knowing exactly what the market's going to to provide for us because it's variable, because there's a lot of risk associated with it. Now, when we look over long periods of time, we can get a fairly good idea as to how that works. And you know, one of the conversations that, that I'm having a lot with folks right now is folks that are in their, their 50s and, and they're looking at, okay, with the recent market volatility, how and when do I dial back the risk and how do I start generating an income? And, and it really starts making them nervous when they're relying upon rate of return. And, and so the, the conversations that we're having are very positive. It's, well, good news, guys, is that we've been getting rates of return better than what we had planned for. And so we're, the plan that we've put in place for you looks great. Even if we see a market pullback, the plan still looks great. The over-reliance on the, upon the market is not there. Exactly. So, all right. So let's, on number five, and, you know, as we've gone through all four of these, what's interesting is it almost defines number five, right? Hubris. We've already said, like, the knowledge that we don't have or don't know to have, I would say the number one, two, three, and four that we just went over, the reasons those are so popular and such a, uh, an attention getter in our clients' meetings is they have not thought of that and, and we're bringing it to their attention. Yeah, it comes across as this, this big aha of like, hey, I'd never really thought about the taxation of this on the backside, uh, on the distribution end of things. Or, boy, that's a really unique take on saving for college or saving for a house. Thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah, thank you for allowing me to see that I don't have to have 100000 which could have been $265,000 go to lost costs, if you will, for my kid's college. Maybe it's only going to be fifty, because I'll be able to recoup some of that. But in the end, it's looking at the, the bigger picture, looking at it from a holistic viewpoint, and, and looking at where you're putting your money today and, and the expectations of the future, building that flexibility in. Well, and the last component of the, the hubris is oftentimes this falls on one spouse or the other spouse to, to be the planner of the family. And there are times when after meeting with somebody, they've walked out of our office standing up a little bit straighter and they didn't even realize the weight that they were carrying and they've thanked us tremendously for, for freeing up their the concern that they had that they didn't even realize that they had, but it was it was still uh, affecting them and affecting them in a negative way, even though they couldn't put their finger on what exactly it was. So we hope this podcast has been valuable for you all. You know, these are the top five things that we see and our clients actually tell us in terms of our biggest value add is, is probably these five things. 
And I hope maybe one of them you're able to, to look at differently in your personal finances and that will help you long-term. So with all that being said, as always, cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their friends are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Quantified Financial Partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. The Living Balance Sheet, LBS, and the LBS logo are service marks of the Guardian Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Copyright 2005-2019, Guardian. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 3585 Maple Street, number 140 Ventura, California, 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Number 2019-85439, expiration 09-2021.